Welcome to another night of Warrior Reads. As always, make sure that you've handled anything before bed, that the room is dark, and that you're in a comfortable position. Remember, as you're listening, if you get excited by a story or interested, don't worry about it. Now is not the time for your mind to be racing. Now is the time for your mind to be resting. As always, we'll have copies of the recordings available on our website, as well as even the ability to order it should you want to in the morning. Now is the time for your reward for a good day lived or a reminder to be a warrior tomorrow. I'll give you about five seconds to clear your head and then we'll begin. Welcome warriors. Tonight, our selection is from The Life of Pi by Yan Martel. Tonight we'll be going through a story of someone who's dealing with a very tragic, bizarre, and awful circumstance, yet finds the will to master himself and his situation despite dire circumstances. The Life of Pi is a story of one young man's journey through both the spiritual world and the physical ocean. Pai is a high school boy that grew up in his family-owned zoo in India. At the behest of his father, they pack all their belongings and the zoo animals and board a Japanese cargo ship to start a new life in Canada where his father intends to sell all the animals and change careers. While aboard the ship, Pai notices a storm and goes aboard to see it only to realize that the ship was sinking. Though Pai tries to save his family, they die in the sinking vessel during the storm, and he winds up on a lifeboat with some of the animals that escaped during the chaos, a zebra, a hyena, an orangutan named Orange Juice, and a Bengal tiger named Richard Parker. Pai watches his family and the ship sink, and he tries to manage being the only human on the lifeboat during the storm. Eventually, the animals kill each other until the last two remaining are Richard Parker the tiger and Pie. Without any way to navigate or propel the lifeboat, Pie spends months at sea mastering his survival skills to stay alive and keep himself from winding up as a final meal for Richard Parker, the tiger. There's a lot more to the story and a lot to learn from Pi as he searches for meaning in multiple religions and examines his own story. You can read this book at any time in the future and it's worth the read, but tonight you'll get to take a dive into the thick of our hero's struggle and Pai will share with you his knowledge on high seas tiger training and offer you some inspiration for your next battle with chaos. But most importantly, Pai will remind us that no matter how bleak the situation is, you can master your situation and come out of it stronger for it because that's what warriors like you do every day. After his parents have died, the ship is sunk, 
His whole crew of survivors has already been eaten. We'll start with Pai contemplating his situation in the vast Pacific night. Relax and enjoy. I woke once during the night. I pushed the canopy aside and looked out. The moon was a sharply defined crescent and the sky was perfectly clear. The stars shone with such fierce, contained brilliance that it seemed absurd to call the night dark. The sea lay quietly, bathed in a shy, light-footed light, a dancing play of black and silver that extended without limits all about me. The volume of things was confounding, the volume of the air above me, volume of water around and beneath me. I was half moved, half terrified. I felt like the sage, Markyandea, who fell out of Vishnu's mouth while Vishnu was sleeping, and so beheld the entire universe, everything that there is. Before the sage could die of fright, Vishnu awoke and took him back into his mouth. For the first time I noticed, as I would notice repeatedly during my ordeal between the throw of agony and the next, that my suffering was taking place in a grand setting. I saw my suffering for what it was, finite and insignificant, and I was still my suffering did not fit anywhere, I realized, and I could accept this. It was alright. It was daylight that brought my protest. No, no, no. My suffering does matter. I want to live. I can't help but mix my life with that of the universe. Life is a peephole, a single tiny entry into a vastness. How can I not dwell in this brief, cramped view that I have of things? This peephole is all I've got. I mumbled the words of a Muslim prayer and went back to sleep. Sometimes we're hit with the hardest situations imaginable. Life can get really real really quick. Car accidents, identity theft, human trafficking, loss of a loved one, losing an income source, problems at home, the list goes on. But there's Pi, looking up at the stars and literally inches away from death by starvation, dehydration, being eaten alive or drowning. And after losing everything and being utterly alone, yet he still sees the beauty in the world the majesty of the universe, and somehow has the brain space to maintain gratitude and wonder. If that's the only thing good that you can hold on to in the midst of your plight, hold tightly, warriors. Gratitude and wonder take up enough room to clear out the negativity, no matter how realistic it might be to ignore it. Pi's will to survive pushes him beyond what he knew possible, and his gratitude and appreciation for what life he may have left elevates his mind. When your mind is clear, you see opportunities 
resources, and you can rest in yourself and the universe to conquer any foe, man, beast, or self. His psychological resourcefulness is just one part of his mastery of self and his environment, and it's a tool you use to stay strong when the world is collapsing around you. The heart of the warrior is unyielding, and you push through and make your world your own. Let's continue. Pi attempts to provide fish for Richard Parker so he doesn't get eaten, and his fishing attempts resulted in tragedy, and he begins to worry about what to do next. The same part of my mind that had rebuked me over my fishing fiasco scolded me again. What exactly do you intend to feed that tiger of yours? How much longer do you think he'll last on three dead animals? Do I need to remind you that tigers are not carrion eaters? Granted, when he's on his last legs, he probably won't lift his nose at much. But you don't think that before he submits to eating a puffy, putrefied zebra, he'll try a fresh, juicy Indian boy? Just a short dip away? And how are you doing with the water situation? You know how tigers get impatient with thirst. Have you smelled his breath recently? It's pretty awful. It's a bad sign. Oh look, speak of the devil, here he is. He's yawning. My, my, what enormous pink cave. Look at those long yellow stalactites and stalagmites. Maybe today you'll get a chance to visit. Richard Parker's tongue, the size and color of a rubber hot water bottle, retreated and his mouth closed. He swallowed. I spent the rest of the day worrying myself sick. I stayed away from the lifeboat, despite my own dire predictions. Richard Parker passed the time, calmly enough. Sometimes situations seem bleak. Most men in this circumstance wouldn't have anything left to do but cry or wait to be eaten, and the stress would be through the roof. Death and suffering, ready to spring at you by many names. Sun poisoning, dehydration, ocean storms, drowning, or by being eaten alive by a tiger named Richard Parker. None of it looks too good, but because you're a warrior, you face your challenges and get your footing and master the situation and make it through. You make hard things look easy because you know how to use your will and strengthen it for life well lived. Let's continue. The riddle seemed irresolvable. To fish, I needed bait, but I would have bait only once I had fish. What was I supposed to do? Use one of my toes? Cut off one of my ears? A solution appeared in the late afternoon in a most unexpected way. I had pulled myself up into the lifeboat. More than that, I would climbed aboard and was rummaging through the locker feverishly looking for an idea that would save my life. I had tried the raft so that it was about six feet from the boat. I fancied that with a jump and a pull at a loose knot, 
I could save myself from Richard Parker. Desperation had pushed me to take such a risk. Finding nothing, no new bait, no new idea, I sat up only to discover that I was dead center in the focus of the stare. He was on the other end of the lifeboat where the zebra used to be, turned my way, sitting up, looking as if he'd been patiently waiting for me to notice him. How was it that I hadn't heard him stir? What delusion was I under that I thought I could outwit him? Suddenly, I was hit hard across the face. I cried out and closed my eyes. With feline speed, he had leapt across the lifeboat and struck me. I was to have my face clawed off. This was a gruesome way I was supposed to die. The pain was so severe I felt nothing. Blessed be shock. Blessed be that part of us that protects us from too much pain and sorrow. At the heart of life is a ruse box. I whimpered. Go ahead, Richard Parker. Finish me off. He was at my feet, making noises. I fearfully opened one eye. It was a fish. There was a fish in the locker. It was flopping about like a fish out of water. It was about 15 inches long and it had wings. A flying fish. Slim and dark gray-blue with dry featherless wings and round, unblinking yellowish eyes. It was this flying fish that had struck me across the face, not Richard Parker. He was still 15 feet away, no doubt wondering what I was going on about. But he had seen the fish. I could read it. Keen curiosity on his face. He seemed about ready to investigate. I bent now, picked up the fish, and threw it towards him. This was the way to tame him. Unfortunately, the flying fish flew in midair and just out of Richard Parker's open mouth. It happened with lightning speed. Richard Parker turned his head and looked, astonished and displeased. Where is my treat? His face seemed to inquire. At that precise instant, there was a vibration in the air and we were struck by a school of flying fish. They came like a swarm of locusts. Standing unprotected, I was, I felt, I was a living the martyrdom of St. Sebastian. Every fish that hit me was like an arrow entering my flesh. I clutched a blanket to protect myself. While also trying to catch some of the fish, I received cuts and bruises all over my body. Richard Parker was tougher than I was in the face of these fish and far more efficient. He raised himself and went about blocking, swiping, biting all the fish he could. Many were eaten alive and whole, struggling wings beating in his mouth. It was a dazzling display of might and speed. Actually, it was not so much the speed that was impressive as the pure animal confidence the total absorption in the moment. Such a mix of ease and concentration, such being in the present, would be the envy of the highest yogis. Pai held on, and he tried to make the best of the situation. In your life, maybe you've noticed that when you put in the work, eventually, things just seem to work out. 
maybe in a seemingly unrelated way. You make your hundred sales calls in a day, but nothing goes up on the board. But the next day, somehow, you're at the top of the charts. You lift and lift at the gym, but nothing seems to improve, and when you come back, somehow your gains are way higher than you expected. Because you continue to push on the warrior path and use your will to shape your world, the world just seems to get out of your way and doors open up. And by the end of it, you've mastered a skill that brings you honor. At this point, Pi is out of biscuits and having grown up as a vegetarian Hindu his whole life, he's faced with choosing his faith and traditions or his life. He must master his own emotions and belief system and make a tough choice. I took hold of the hatchet. I raised it in the air. Several times I started to bring the hatchet down, but I just couldn't complete the action. Such sentimentalism may seem ridiculous considering what I had witnessed in the last days, but those were the deeds of others, of predatory animals. A lifetime of peaceful vegetarianism stood between me and the willful beheading of a fish. I covered the fish's head with a blanket and turned the hatchet around. Again, my hand wavered in the air. The idea of beating a soft living head with a hammer was simply too much. Tears flowing down my cheeks. I egged myself on until I heard a cracking sound and I no longer felt any life fighting in my hands. I pulled back the folds of the blanket. The flying fish was dead. It was split open and bloody on one side of its head at the level of the gills. I wept heartedly over this poor little deceased soul. It was the first sentient being I had ever killed. I was now a killer. I was now as guilty as Cain. I was 16 years old, a harmless boy, bookish and religious, and now I had blood on my hands. It was a terrible burden to carry. All sentient life is sacred. I never forget to include this fish in my prayers. As he continues, Pine decides that he's got to make it out of the situation, and he's got to make it work for both him and Richard Parker, the tiger. He catches a sea turtle and makes a shield. He sharpens a rod and uses it as a spear and feeds both he and Richard Parker with fish that he catches. He masters the situation and provides enough fish to feed the tiger and a man stranded at sea. And he masters a deadly predator enough to not only show him who's boss, but keep himself from being food himself. Let's take a look at how he does it. To those that should ever find themselves in a predicament such as I was in, I would recommend the following program. Choose a day when the waves are small, but regular. You want to see that will put on a good show when your lifeboat is broadside to it, though without capsizing your boat. Now comes the difficult part. You must provoke the animal that is afflicting you. The best way to do this is most likely to go to the edge of your territory 
and noisily intrude into the neutral zone. I did just that and went to the edge of the tarpaulin and stamped upon the middle bench as I mildly blew into the whistle. It is important that you make a consistent, recognizable noise to signal your aggression, but you must be careful. You don't want to provoke the animal, but only so much. You don't want it to attack you outright. If it does, God be with you. You will be torn to pieces. You don't want that. You want an animal that is peaked, peeved, vexed, bothered, irked, annoyed, but not homicidal. Under no circumstances should you step into your animal's territory. Contain your aggression to staring into its eyes and hurling toots and taunts. Work in all bad faith to provoke a border intrusion. A good way bringing this about in my experience is to back off slowly as you are making noises. Be sure not to break eye contact. As soon as the animal lays a paw in your territory, or even made a determined advance into the neutral territory, you have achieved your goal. Don't be picky or legalistic as to where its paw actually landed. Be quick and affronted. Once your animal has trespassed upon your territory, be unflagging in your outrage. Start blowing your whistle at full blast and immediately trip the sea anchor. These two actions are of pivotal importance. Blowing the whistle continuously is exhausting for the weakened castaway, but you must not falter. Your alarmed animal must associate its increasing nausea with the shrill cries of a whistle. I assure you, in no time, you'll have your lifeboat rocking and rolling like Elvis Presley. When your animal appears good and sick, you can stop. Seasickness comes on quickly, but it takes a long while to go away. Treatment should be repeated until the association in the animal's mind between the sounds of the whistle and the feeling of intense incapacitating nausea is fixed and totally unambiguous. Thereafter, the whistle alone will deal with trespassing or any other outward behavior. You've crossed into a new world and faced trials and temptations, despair and pain. You've come through it. Because you've mastered your mind and your heart, you don't let the difficulties define you. You hold on to the joy in life. You've survived a shipwreck and mastered the high seas. You've subdued a wild beast and made it yours. You have the will to survive and the capacity for mastery, and you don't quit. That is what makes you a warrior. And when you face your next tiger and you experience another shipwreck, you know that you've got it and you'll make it out and have a good story to tell your people.